0: go Mark. Off be, again with you. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air and it's like therapy, you know, if I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll through another dimension a dimension not only of sound and thought but of mind a journey into a wondrous rabbit hole whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop at the corner of Weird and Wild, the zoological oddities fit for carnival sideshows of the 19th century, still eerily present here in the 21st. You find yourself here at the crossroads between folklore and fantasy, where man, myth, and beast are one. Joining us is an author and researcher who's reported on these paranormal phenomena for almost half a century, here to guide us through the 40 and 5, the man behind phantoms and Lon strickler. with me mystic mark here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast thank you for listening and enjoy this conversation with lon strickler
1: Separate beings. I, I believe there are a lot of different factions. I, I think they travel more through portals or wormholes as opposed to interstellar space, you know, long distances and such. If it is a long distance, I don't think for the most part it's on craft or UFOs or whatever people want to call those things. I think most of it is done through through dimensional travel. He had an ATV. He um. He used to ride on his property. He lived right along the the Montour Ridge, north of Northumberland, Pennsylvania. And you're right, there's there's the western and the main branch of the Susquehanna River that's right there in the town. And one morning in August, apparently, and this is a story that we got, that he he got on his ATV early in the morning and, and drove up the ridge telling, told everybody he was just scouting deer for the next deer season. I don't know how true that is, but that's what they were told. And he said he'd be back around noon. Well, he never showed up. They had been out there searching the property for him. And uh, like I said, it was in the dog days of August and it was very hot. But they had cadaver dogs, they had search dogs, they had the whole nine yards. There's a pond there. They had. they had scuba in there looking in the pond, nothing, no trace of him whatsoever.
0: All right. Pleasure to have you here, sir. I'm, I'm honored, to be honest. You've been doing this almost twice as long as I've been alive, so it's a privilege. And and I want to start, you know, obviously by thanking you, but maybe we can get into some of your initial experiences that led you down this strange road that What's I it? myself am on. And, and then maybe we can get into some of the more out there cases that I really enjoy, the things that have convinced me the most are some of those photos that you have there with the flying humanoids. I think those are really compelling. So I want to touch on the humanoids. And then, you know, from there, there's so much I got notes. So I don't know uh, if you need the, the heads up, because from what I've heard, you have great recall on a lot of this stuff. But if there's anything, you know, you want to pass on, we can always edit it out. But the Todd Seas case really fascinates me for a number of reasons. Everything going on with David Eckhart, and then as well as your Bigfoot sighting. I'd love to, to get into that, or, or the Skiesville. Is it Sykesville? Sykesville. Sykesville. Yeah, yeah, Sykesville monster. So a lot of stuff to get into here. But yeah, for folks listening, thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Tonight's guest, Lon Strickler from the website or blog, rather, Phantoms and Monsters author of three great books on the subject. Lon, thank you for being here. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. And like I said earlier, I want to get into you know who you are and, and how this started for you. So if you could maybe take us into some of your earlier experiences and what first opened your mind to some of the paranormal realities that we're living in.
1: Well, you know, I, when I was growing up, I, I knew something was kind of up with me. I, I could sense things, you know, I don't know, really, I later found out I could sense spirit energy. I was intuitive, but anyway, I was born and raised not far from the Gettysburg battlefield. And I used to do a lot of, um, I used to go out there a lot during the summers when I was a kid. I used to ride my bike on uh, the just east of there, and one one Saturday afternoon during the summer—well, I don't even know if it was a Saturday. It was an afternoon during the summer. I was off school, so I was out by the the area they call the Valley of Death, which is uh, between Little Roundtop and Devil's Den and the Wheatfield. It was it was an area that had a lot of action on the second day of the battle. So I was out there and I'd been out there before. I never really experienced much of anything. Now I was what, nine, 10 years old at the time. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, it's like a big TV screen opened up in front of me. And I was seeing literally soldiers in the field and hearing gunfire gun, you know, cannon fire, smelling gunpowder, hearing yells and screams. And I mean, the whole nine yards and all my senses were heightened at the time. And I suspect that this lasted about 30 seconds and just suddenly stopped everything, you know? So that was kind of the first time I had experienced anything like that. I still spent a lot of time there and I had sensed a lot of different things, seen some things, but that was, that was pretty profound. So at that point I knew something was up with me. And, you know, I didn't really say much to my parents about it. They, you know, I don't know if they ever would have believed me anyway. But, uh, you know, it's something I I held to myself and I actually used to do investigations. Now, this, you know, that occurred back in 67, I think it was. So when I got out of high school, I was, uh, I was doing investigations, paranormal investigations, which was, you know, People didn't even thinking about that at the time. They kind of, uh, you said paranormal investigator, they kind of, her eyes kind of glazed over, but I had moved down to, to Maryland. I was living near Baltimore. And I was doing cases down there and I was doing cases back up here in Pennsylvania. So yeah, I lived down there for 40 years, but I was up between Pennsylvania and Maryland a lot doing a lot of different things. But you know, that's, that's basically what I did for several years. I would go in word of mouth. People would find me and ask me to do investigations at a home business property or whatever, if something was going on. So in 1981, in the May of 1981, I had a Bigfoot encounter near Sykesville, Maryland. And that's kind of where it all started with me with the cryptids. And, you know, because of that sighting, I I branched out into doing that as well.
0: Now, I want to go back to the first experience you mentioned, because something that stood out is the location on the Gettysburg Battlefield known as the mm-hmm. devil's den, right? And mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up is cuz where I live in in Connecticut and New England for that matter, you have a phenomena of, you know, ancient sort of Native American sacred sites being renamed when the colonial people came here, you know, whether whatever group they may be, you know, for whatever reason would name certain areas where the Native Americans were inhabiting devil's this or devil's that and when i looked into the devil's den a little further i found that it was actually named that for a serpent that was notoriously found in the cave down there now you know is there anything else strange that you can say about that area other than the the you know, sort of almost like a vision into the past. It sounds like what you had, but are there any other encounters that you've uh, noted that have taken place there, you know, through people, stories you've heard? I've heard a
1: lot of different things. I mean, I've seen a lot of different things, you know, devil's den is kind of a unique feature anyway. It's a, it's a, it's a bedrock granite that's actually sticking out of the ground. and, and, And if if you've ever seen pictures of it, it actually goes up as high as maybe 15 to 20 foot in some places mm. above ground level. And a major part of the battle on the second day was fought there. There's a lot of death there. And it's pretty it was pretty notorious. And of course, when you, you read the history of the battle itself, you know, I never knew where the name came from. I I, I know now you mentioned something about snakes. Well, uh, we do have timber rattlers and and copperheads in the area, so maybe that is true. I don't I don't know about that, but anyway, it is it is a very unique outcropping of, of granite. And and you know when I go, even I was just there not long ago, and it, it, it's very palpable the energy there. And you know there are a lot of stories of people seeing soldiers or apparitions of soldiers or maybe residual energy of the soldiers there at at, at, at Devil's Den. But people, I mean, they, these things have been seen all over the battlefield, and in that area as well, in the wheat field, up on, on the Little Round Top and all. So, you know, it's, it's just like most places where there's been some type of violence or some type of event that left an imprint, an energy imprint on the land. And because of the geology, I believe it's it's very heavily quartz. It's it's got a lot of limestone. It's got a lot of granite. I think that energy held there, and you know, it, it it's probably in my estimation. And I think a lot of other people think the same thing. It's probably one of the most haunted areas in the world. I'll be honest with it. It's just you know, it, it just affects so many people. People so many people so, see so many different things all around the battlefield. So, yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, I think what you're getting at is something we've talked about a lot on the show, which is the ability for a place to have a energy in itself. And sometimes that energy can be really dark. Sometimes that energy can be you know, really uplifting. You know, we can look at some sacred places around the world for examples of that, but take us back to this early experience because I want to get into some of those early experiences and what they comprised of, you know, when you talk about your paranormal investigations, but you talk about this Sykesville monster on your blog, Mm -hmm. the Sykesville, Maryland monster. Is there a reason why you call it that and not the Sykesville, Sykesville Bigfoot? Did it have any characteristics that would make you think it's not quite a Bigfoot?
1: Well, did, there were some sightings of a perihominid in the area about eight years before my encounter. And the, that, at that time, they were calling it the Slakesville Monster. It was okay. this creature was getting into people's property, going into chicken pens and going into the garage. I actually got in somebody's kitchen at one point. Came busting through a door from the inside out and knocked a police officer over at one point as well. So all these properties were along the south branch of Patapsco River, which runs right through Sykesville. And this was in the, you know, the Southern part of the town, which by the way, was a a very heavy Afro-American African-American neighborhood. And all the witnesses who had seen this beast at the time were African-American. So because of that, the initial investigation, the initial press releases were coming out of the Baltimore Afro, Afro-American newspaper. Then it started, you know, expanding out beyond that. But anyway, yeah, that had happened about eight years before I had my encounter. So, I, in turn, most people you refer to my encounter as the show Monster. But anyway, I was I was downstream about a mile from from the town. In an area I used to go fishing. I used to fly fish in the river a lot. And I was out, I mean, I was out the river. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. It was in the spring. It was early May. Real nice day. I've been there a lot too, though. And I was out standing out in my waders. And I noticed on the other side of the bank, on the north side of the bank, there was a dog going in and out of the weeds and such. And I, I didn't really pay it much mind. But I did when I heard the yelping. When I heard the dog yelp, and when I looked up, I saw something bigger than the dog in moving in the, in the brush. And as I watched this thing stood up and it was, it was big. I mean, now the weeds were really high in there, but as it stood up it from the mid chest up, I could see it. And it looked like, you know, and at the time, I didn't really know much about Bigfoot. Of course, I had heard about Boggy Creek and all that, seen the movie and, you know, and the whole thing. And that's about the time when this was going on. But uh, anyway, I, I saw this thing. I was watching it, and it kind of started moving to the its left, or to my left, to its right, and, and was moving out of the weeds. And as it came out, Onto the bank of the river Which was only like maybe 40-50 foot away from me And it stood there watching me And we locked eyes for I'd say about 10 seconds I mean I was shocked at what I was looking at And uh, to be honest with you It looked more human than you know, ape or anything else Of course it was biped it was about, I'd say, close to eight foot in height, very thick brow ridge, had a lot of dark brown matted hair all over its body. The face was uh sparsely covered in hair. It was kind of dark skinned, but it looked human. You know, it didn't, you know, I didn't know really what I was looking at. And uh, I did notice one thing that it was making a a clicking sound like it was I, And I believe later I, that it was gnashing its teeth. I don't know if that was a nervous tick or something, you know, when they saw it, saw something it didn't recognize, I don't know, but it was making this ticking sound. And like I said, we had looked at each, I was still in the river and I wasn't going anywhere with the waiters. and so, you know, this thing turned around and started walking quickly up into the woods. And uh, I just literally walked out of the river, went up to my car and drove back into town to report this thing. So what I did, I went into, whether, I went to the nearest phone I could find, which was a bar that was right there along the river. And I, I, called, I, I just called, I think I called the operator, I didn't call 911, I called the operator and asked for Sikesville police. And I told uh, the woman who was on the other end of the phone what I saw and uh, what I encountered, and she said, "Well, look, go back to where you were, and an officer will meet you there." Huh. You know, so I didn't really want to go back because I didn't know where this thing was. I didn't know if it was going to hurt me or what it was. But anyway, I did drive back, and it was no more than a three minute drive. It was, you know, and by the time I got there there was a Maryland state police officer there and he had a, one of those wooden barriers across the road already. And I pulled up and he told me, you, you gotta get going. You gotta leave here. And I said, well, you know, I just talked to Sykesville police and they told me to come back and, and wait for somebody. And he said, I don't care, you gotta leave. So, you know, this was strange. I, I didn't know any, I have any idea what was going on. So I, I did. I turned around and um, I went back home. And I did live in Sykesville at the time. So I went back home to my, my apartment. I stayed there about an hour or so and I decided, well, I'm going to go back down there and see what's going on. So I went back down. I drove back down there and there were cars lined up all up and down the road. I had to literally walk about a quarter of a mile back to the scene after parking my car and as i walked up there there was a howard county police officer standing there at the barrier there are a few other people there and i asked this cop i said you know what's going on and he said and he started laughing he said, somebody said they saw a bigfoot well i didn't call it a bigfoot i mean i, I told the woman at the dispatcher that you know just some tall hairy thing i didn't know what it was and so but there were police everywhere i mean they were there were people with dogs in there and going up and down the river on the other side they had a big white tent set up where this thing had been at on the other side of the river and then i did notice some some black wagoneers they didn't have suvs they had these The the wagoners is what they actually used to drive. There were two of those down by the, on the other side of the road. And I did hear a helicopter, but I didn't actually see one. But there were a lot of people out there. I mean, it was loaded with with people looking around. So I asked him, I asked the cop if they had found anything. He said something about, they may have found something, hair or something. I don't know. I don't even remember what he told me. But, so I stood there maybe about 10 minutes and I just turned around and went back to my car and went home. So when I did get home, I called some of the local uh, TV stations. There were three of them in Baltimore at the time. And I called all three and they all sounded interested in what I encountered. So they said, look, uh, we'll give you a call back in a couple of days, days, you know, or whenever we find out something and, you know, we want to interview. I said, sure. So, I waited about five days and no, no, nobody was calling me. So I did call one of the, the, the news desk back up and asked them about it. And they didn't want to talk to me. They said, we're not interested and literally hung up on me. So yeah, that was my experience. And, but it, it seemed to me that they knew something, they were out there actually looking for something before I even reported it. And I later found out that there was a sighting about three miles downstream from there that morning. I I had seen the BFRO report years later. And then I had a Sykesville police officer contact me after I posted on my blog years later. And he told me that, uh, yeah, I mean, he he verified everything he he had had seen. He wasn't sure, really, they hadn't told them what was going on. And but over the years, I've been I've tried to get more information. The police department has no record of it anymore. We've had people look into it. There's just no record of the sighting itself, or the the actual dispatch, or all that. I mean, there's just nothing out there. Mm. So yeah, but you know that's really where it started for me because when I went. When I did later find out about the the Sykesville Monster incident, because I hadn't known anything about that, one of the guys who I worked with, his family lived down that down there along the river, and he told me about it. And he said, "Yeah, I can help you talk to some of these people who were, you know, you know, had this experience." And I did. I was, I talked to almost all the witnesses, I believe, even more people that had that had not come forward earlier. So, yeah, so that really interested me, and that's kind of where my my cryptid interest started
0: at. That's, in, that's indeed interesting, and I wonder, you know, have you ever thought about why, albeit there was a previous sighting that day, but why the police seemed to show up so quickly, and then, you know, do you think that their interest is merely public safety, or is there some sort of, cover-up because you do see this same sort of speedy you know we'll say recovery of artifacts in cases like the kecksburg pennsylvania you know Mm -hmm. incident and it just makes me wonder maybe i'm a little biased towards being uh, anti-government but that being said you know what what are you what are your thoughts on the police's motivation to go in there and investigate
1: well, if you're familiar with the Baltimore, Washington area, there's a lot of facilities that people just don't know what's there. And that, that goes for places up and down that river and all, all around, even Baltimore and and there's a there's a lot of government facilities, I believe, because there were feds involved, that this thing may have escaped from some facility or something and they were looking for it. that's the only thing I can figure. And you know, with all the people I've talked to over the years about this, and look, there's a lot of conjecture about what it could have been or should have been or whatever, but I don't know. I mean, there, there ha- now there have been three other Class A sightings in the area since that sighting, since my sighting. So, you know, the Patapsco State Park ha- is pretty well known for a lot of strange activity and a lot of Bigfoot sightings. So, yeah, there's been several in that area.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, and it it kind of brings to mind the, you know, when you say government facilities trying to maybe cover something up, it brings to mind a section on your site called the Bigfoot Paradox, which is a theory that I don't think I've seen or heard anywhere else, and it fascinates me, this idea that maybe Russia was behind some of these Sasquatches coming around here in America. Is there anything you can say about that?
1: Well, if if you know the history of the, the country, Russia actually had some settlements in um, in Northern California. Right. They you know their first set of settlements in Alaska and all, and then down they did try to set some settlements down into California. And from what I gathered, there's a lot of hunting and stuff. I, I, I you know, I, I saw a story and I also heard this this thing from uh, that was on Coast to Coast that was referred to me about a of an actual being taken that was shot and killed or whatever, and that it ended up in the Smithsonian somewhere. And you know, a lot of people believe it may actually even been the the Minnesota Iceman. You know, they really don't know what the story is, but I, I know this one. This one gentleman had seen this thing in in a, in a uh, storeroom of a or museum in in Russia, in the Soviet Union, at some point, and mentioned it when he called into uh, Coast to Coast. So, you know, I don't know <clears throat> what the full story is about that. You know, there's been a lot of speculation about a lot of different things. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there's been, there've been people that have come forward in the past and talked about Bigfoot bodies and, you know, a lot of what's been hoaxing and, and, you know, just to draw attention, but that story itself is interesting. So I don't know how true it is, but you know, it's just something I dug up over the years.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that will be linked <laughs> in the episode description. Cause I encourage people to go and but. You know, I think you and I share a similar perspective, at least from what I've heard in in past interviews. And this phenomena, whether it's Bigfoot, Dogman, or these flying humanoids that we're about to get into, you know, they seem to be a part of the same phenomena, And that could be consciousness. It could be, you know, whatever the dimensions or the physics of this, you know, reality that we're in that we just don't Mm -hmm. understand quite fully yet. But it, it seems like the materialist explanations for these creatures never quite satisfy the, the curiosity that I think both of us share. So if we could get into maybe uh, a lesser known cryptid, you know, uh, Bigfoot is probably one of the first that people are introduced to, mm-hmm. but, you know, the flying humanoid—it it goes by several different names, from Owl Man to Moth Man—but they seem to be a part of at least uh, the same category, if they're not all the same entity. When did you first learn about these creatures?
1: Well, I had an encounter back in nineteen eighty-eight. Wow. Um, uh, but I had always known about the the, the Moth of Point Pleasant and. and you know before i started writing the blog i collected a lot of a lot of reports and did investigations and kept records of them but in 1988 i had a I, I ran into a friend of mine who was a scoutmaster up here in pennsylvania i was living down in baltimore at the time and we, by chance we ran into each other we hadn't seen each other in about 12 years or so. So we were sitting there having lunch one day and, you know, actually when he was a kid, he used to spend time on the battlefield would be at nighttime when we were kids. And, you know, he saw a lot of stuff too. And he knew I was into all this, but he asked me, he said, you know, and he told me, he said, look, I know you're into the paranormal. We've got something going on at the old camp Conewago, where some of these troops are camping out in the woods around the, the camp around the campground and uh, they're being they're leaving there because they're hearing all kinds of screaming sounds and scaring the kids and they're leaving early and we have no idea what's going on it's been going on all summer and by, by this time it was october of 1988 and he said a friend of mine and i are going out there next weekend do you want to come up here up there and and go out with us and I, You know, I said, yeah, I'll go out. So, you know, it was at a time when I wasn't, I was young enough that I didn't mind sleeping in a tent and on the ground. And I don't think I'd do that now anymore. But uh, yeah, so we, we met up there and uh, we trekked into the woods, set up camp. We all, each of us had a tent. And I'd say by six o'clock or so that Friday evening, we had a fire going and we were just sitting around talking, you know, we had made something to eat and, you know, so we didn't really, that night was pretty uneventful. So we hit the sack pretty early and and the next morning when we woke up, the guy who was with us mentioned that, you know, did you, did you guys hear anything walking around the campsite? And I did, I heard something moving around, but I thought it was one of them getting up and relieving themselves or whatever. I didn't think any of it. So there's a lot of wildlife around there and, you know, the campsite wasn't disturbed because I thought, well, maybe it was a deer or something, you know, anyway, so we didn't pay much of mind. So that day, that Saturday, we spent most of the day just Hiking into the woods, you know, we're going all kinds of places. We were out there a while. And as we were coming back to the campsite, and we didn't really notice much of anything, to be honest with you, there wasn't really, I wasn't picking up on anything beyond, you know, beyond just normal sounds of the woods. And I wasn't getting any intuition of anything. So we came back, it was getting, it was dusk and we got back to the campsite and we sat there and cooked some dinner and we were going to stay up for a while and that's what we did so i guess around it was around 10 10 30 or so we heard a screaming sound as we were sitting there and we didn't know where it was coming from but i, I the first thing i thought was may have been a bird or an owl or you know something making a me- a loud sound I didn't really think much of it so you know we met you know we said well you know let's stick around and stay up a bit maybe we'll hear it again well about I'd say maybe an hour later we heard again but this time it was very loud and it sounded like a human child woman screaming it really did it was kind of going in and out and it was like it, it was just like this thing was flying in and out going away and back and forth and Then we were interested. We didn't know what the hell that was, but we were pretty sure that was the sound that was scaring these kids. So we definitely said we're going to stay up the night for as long as we could. Maybe we can get an idea of what this is. So we sat there for a while yet and I was getting stiff. So I, I stood up and started walking around and I walked out onto the trail, which was just outside the campsite and there was, the creek is there, Kahnawaga Creek is there. And, uh, you know, this was a fairly well lit, moon, you know, moonlit night and uh, we could see into the woods and down the creek and everything. But as I was standing here, I just got this sense something was, was watching us, you know, how you get that, you know, feeling. So I went back. And I told them, I said, look, you know, why don't we go out onto the trail a bit and see if we can find anything. So, they agreed. We got our flashlights. And in a line, we walked down the the trail. And we didn't get very far. And when we noticed these big red eyes standing out into the creek. And as we got the flashlight on that thing, it literally jettison itself into the air. And we we heard a whooshing sound as it moved as it jettisoned up and it it was so quick and as it reached its apex this things let out a horrific scream and it flew off and we could hear it fading away. So we were we were kind of freaked and we went back to the campsite and we're sitting there and my buddy he was He wasn't talking. He was freaked out. The other guy mentioned to me, he said, did you see, did you see something on its back? And I did. I had noticed some type of structures or something on the back. I just assumed it was wings, but I never did see any wings unfurl, but I I, I assumed that's what it was. But anyway, my buddy wasn't talking. He, he said, look, I'm not staying out here tonight. I'm going up the administration building to spend the night up there and he and he's The other guy went up there. So I stayed at the campsite. I I wanted to get a look at this thing, but it was quiet the rest of the night. But yeah, it was interesting because that sighting, and you know, I didn't really talk much about that sighting for a long time after I started the blog, which was, you know, almost 20 years later. And I I decided to post on the blog one day and I started getting some comments and reaction to it. And the interesting thing about it is, people that are familiar with these sightings that are going on in around chicago it was very similar in, in uh description of what people have been seeing there with the big red eyes very dark but you know of course it was dark out i didn't really see it too well but anyway i did have a gentleman who contacted me who lived down by dick's dam which is just down the stream from the uh, the campground and he told me, he said, you know, I've been hearing that screaming sound for 20 years. I, I have no idea what it was, you know. So, you know, I thought that was interesting. But then not long later, I got a, I got an email from a scoutmaster. And he said that he and his troop had been recently over Camp Conewago, And the kids had been out on the trail, and that was during the day. And they had been out on the trail, and they came running back, freaked out, and all excited and and told him that they had seen what they called a dragon. And of course he thought they were pulling his leg. And so he said, I didn't really think much of it. He said, I knew they were shook up, but I don't think, I thought they just misidentified something. But when he read my account, then he, you know, he thought, well, maybe they did see something. So now I posted that in 2008. And since that time I've had, at least five other sightings up and down that creek or something very similar to what I saw. And, you know, in this area, and I live in, like I said, this is south central Pennsylvania, it's Adams and York County. We've had several sightings of winged wing humanoids in this area, at least three others that I know of. So, yeah, and, you know, Pennsylvania is pretty well known for a lot of different stuff, but these winged humanoids do show up once in a while.
0: Yeah. And, you know, back to the topic of Bigfoot, a lot of people assume it's a West Coast phenomenon, but it's, you know, they, they have not been to Pennsylvania. I have, and it's, you know, expansive as any Western state. And there are a lot of rural pockets, particularly in the Amish community. I found last summer while I was in Lancaster County, that they have a legend of this creature called the apple twitch that's sort of like their spin on bigfoot we'll say mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think you know i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh researcher michael juan but he's done a really fascinating job of showing the strange real reality surrounding the susquehanna river in particular there's something mm-hmm. really mystical especially when you consider that the chesapeake bay and the susquehanna river are the same body of water and all the important political things that have gone on in that vicinity. It's really kind of tremendous. I wonder, you know, have you ever been to the petroglyphs down there? And do you think that there's some sort of, you know, I don't know, ancient record of this? Are there any stories from, you know, the local, you know, I know a lot of people that were here, you know, pre-colonial time, they're no longer, you know, where they were, a lot of them went up to the Iroquois nation, but what are, <clears throat> what are the, the ancient legends, if any of these flying humanoid creatures?
1: Well, the flying humanoids, not really much. I, I know the Shawnee had been in the area at one point, and the, there's some legends there, but very vague. Now, of course, there've been several tribes and nations that had been through the area over the years. The Ludelinape, Susquehannock, Shawnee, some of the other iroquois nations have been down here even the Nanakoke had been up and come up from virginia so the the, the chesapeake bay and in the susquehanna river have got a lot of lore that are associated with each other and there's been a lot of bigfoot sightings up and down that river and let alone ufo sightings as well but yeah there's a lot of cryptid activity in the area mm. well You know, if we can go maybe to an
0: equally strange body of water or bodies of water, the, you know, Great Lakes region, because it seems like there's a a pocket of, of flying humanoid sightings in sort of the opposite of what you'd expect with a lot of these other cryptid sightings where they're happening in very remote places. You know, here we see, you know, a very modern city. On the forty-second parallel, a historic, you know, empire kind of building, parallel lay line, and and we have these strange Mothman, Owlman sightings going on up there. Can we, you know, can you let us in on a little bit more about that, Lon?
1: Well. You know, the, the Illinois area, even into Indiana, have been known for like Thunderbird sightings and a lot of other strange sightings of winged beings, even uh, pterosaur sightings over, you know, over the centuries. The uh, the local Indians, local native people wrote about them, well, wrote about them, but they, they made large petroglyphs of these things, but it was in their lore. So... But the, the sightings of these winged humanoids really started to pick up. Well, the first three sightings were in 2011. They were three sightings that were sent into uh, MUFON. Of the three different sightings in August, September, and October 2011 in South Chicago. But of course, it being reported into Fund, we couldn't get any of the background information or any statements from the witnesses. We just had what was reported there. So, you know, that, that kind of created a of a buzz at the time but as time went on we we hear something here and there but in the spring of 2017 it really started to bust loose we we were just getting a lot of sightings i mean the early sightings were coming in to move on but uh, we were able to get some at least one of the early witnesses to come forward with us and talk to us she was a professional actually a lawyer she'd had a sighting in Oz Park of those kind of insectoid-type being with red eyes. And, uh, you know, it kept going and progressing. There were, we had a couple of sightings that were described as Alman or Lacusas or something to that effect. You know, we had, I think, the first four sightings in 2017 that were actually reported came from MUFON. So my colleague, Manuel, and I, and uh, Manuel lives in Chicago. So we decided, look, we're going to, we're going to start trying to collect some of these sightings directly from the witnesses. So we get an idea of what was going on. And, you know, we started posting and man, we, we really started getting, we really started getting reports like crazy. And it, you know, I was, I was trying to make it as forthright and as honest as possible, not trying to make us to go out there and have a bunch of people hoaxing and stuff. But, you know, one thing we did find out very early was when people were reporting to us, they were very forthright and they weren't embellishing on their settings. You know, they told us from the beginning they stuck to it. And that was fairly consistent. It has been consistent since that time. So, in 2017, I think we had up to 50 sightings that we thought were legitimate up until the late October. And, uh, I mean, that summer was crazy. And I literally had people calling me at all hours, day and night telling me or asking me what was going on about these winged humanoids because you know first thing they thought was well it's a harbinger you know like the old mothman legend of the harbinger up at at point pleasant and they thought something was going to happen and i I guess they called me to, to have me reassure them that nothing was going to happen but it was crazy and, but we were getting a lot of sightings. Most of the early sightings started right along the, the lakefront, but it started branching out and going out even out into the suburbs. And uh, we were getting sightings all over the place, even down into Indiana, further out in Illinois and up in Southern Wisconsin. So it, it continued on and, you know, it was, wasn't as busy as it was in 2017, but going into 2018, We were getting a couple sightings here and there, and it it was fairly steady. And most of the sightings were of this red-eyed, you know, bat-wing, gargoyle-wing type being, very emaciated-looking. We've had reports from police officers who've seen it. I've had people confidentially tell me about. You work for the city, about having encounters but we were not getting cooperation from the city i mean they weren't giving us any access to any cameras or anything even the security companies around some of these sightings weren't cooperating with us so you know we kind of did that back and forth until maybe october 2019 then we started getting sightings more consistently out of o'hare international and i'd say since that time up to the present present time, I I'd say about 80, 85% of the settings are at O'Hare
0: very interesting i had heard you previously mention fermi labs as mm-hmm. another strange area or place in that area but o'hare what do you think it is about that is it maybe just the fact that people naturally have their eyes in the sky when they're at an airport and they're looking up already or or maybe there's something in that vicinity that this being is traveling to or from
1: well we th- there's an actual cemetery at at the, uh, at the O'Hara. It's called Restatement Cemetery. It's been there forever. They did, they did take another cemetery out of there when they built the, the airport, but that won't stay there for whatever reason. But we do know there's some ley line activity there. And our, our belief is that these beings are coming through there through a portal of some type. You know, it's interesting how many sightings we've had around that, that cemetery within like a hundred yard radius of the cemetery i'd say at this point now we've had maybe four five or six sightings plus we've had other humanoid sightings in the area we had even had a ufo that literally had a humanoid ascend up into it right above the the cemetery as well so there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on there and ufo activity at that that airport is not unusual we've had two ufo sightings that were associated with the sightings of these winged humanoids as well. so you know is there a connection yeah it very well could be you know you mentioned the Fermi labs <laughs> you know that's one of you know we when we started looking into this phenomenon that we were trying to grasp crawls and try to find out what we thought this very well could be. we looked into all times you know all time's of theories and and conjecture but we did know about the Fermi labs out in the county further being there. It's uh, people who don't know it. It's the oldest particle accelerator in the world. It's been there for about 45 years, but about eight, seven or eight years ago, there was an accident there. Now the extent of the accident, I don't know what it was. I know they shut the thing down now, you know, is, does, is this accident Is that, is that a reason did it open something up to why these things started coming through? You know, you got to think about that, but I don't know if it's true or not. I do know that they have restarted the accelerator within the past two years. There has been some news that have come out of the facility during during that period. So to what extent is going on? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's even connected, but it's something to think about. Right. Now, is there a single flying
0: humanoid case that stands out as the most compelling one that you've you've heard so far. Is there any one that you would maybe use as a you know a good jumping off point for someone who's really new to this?
1: I don't know. You know, I've got them all listed there. I guess anybody could go and check and you know check it out and see what they feel is compelling. I think they're all compelling, but the I, I think the sightings of certain individuals, especially people personnel who work at the airport, and I'm talking about air flight controllers and pilots themselves, that that's pretty substantial, even though it's anecdotal, it's pretty substantial evidence to my in my point who you you know the pilots are well known for not a lot ta- not reporting ufo activity <clears throat> the fact that at least one of them mentioned that he saw a wing humanoid as he was taxing on the tarmac that's kind of unusual right so um but no we had an air traffic controller who was out on a smoke break with two other individuals at the tower see this thing out in the parking lot too and you know we've had some tsa Security people tell us that they've seen it, and we've had a lot of cargo workers tell us as well. But the powers that be at the airport are really putting a crimp in things. They're 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 literally threatening people that they're going to lose their jobs. They report this now. Why that is, I don't know. I mean, but they're pretty serious about it. And I know there's a lot of sludgings that aren't being reported to us. I have a I have a confidential source at one of the airlines who's a supervisor who has been telling me that they have been getting citing reports from their employees for over a year and a half now. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's pretty well known. I mean, yeah. all, all, you know, it's, it's happening to all carriers and all, you know, so yeah, you know, we've filed a FOIA request with FAA and you know, we always get this back. Well, nothing was reported and, you know, so do even you, with the, even with the Chicago police, where I know that they had made a report, they, they have nothing. They won't tell us anything. Right. Now, do the sightings
0: typically tend to be, you know, observing these creatures while they're flying through the air? Or are there any cases where people have, you know, been attacked or, or maybe fleed with their life, you know, f- seemingly in danger anything like that happening with these humanoids
1: yeah there have been a couple on ground encounters there was one in bowling brook illinois where a woman called me one evening all shook up and said she had to encounter one of these things (laughs) as she was taking her nightly walk around the neighborhood she used to cut through a, a small playground near her home and as she was walking through there she saw this tall thing dark thing Standing in the on the sidewalk, and she she actually she told me she said the first I thought was two people embracing. You know, I don't know how she got that, but she said as she walked up to it, this thing literally turned, and she saw how wide it was. She knew it wasn't two people embracing. She says about seven foot in height, and that the wings were literally extending back behind the, over the head. So she said it was making, she got within like 15 foot of it. She said it was making a gurgling sound. I think it was probably standing and sleeping or something like that. Cause she said, the, you know, these wings, even though they were over the back, they were, they were wrapped around it like a cape, but she said it was uh, like bat wings or, you know, like, you know, like a membrane wing. But she heard this gurgling sound, and as she was standing there, this thing didn't react to her, but her, her legs gave out on her. I don't know if it was because of fear or what it was, but that isn't the first time that's happened. People have literally fell to the ground when they confronted these things. And she got herself up, went to the nearest bench, sat down, and tried to compose herself as she continued to watch this thing, and it wasn't moving. And after she got herself straight and she went around the the playground and went home. And when she got home, her son was there and he wanted, she told him about, he wanted to see it. So they jumped in the car and drove over to the playground. And as they got near, there was some hedges there and this thing jumped out of the hedges in front of the car. And she, you know, she told, she didn't say anything about the red eyes or anything, but she said this thing, it was definitely the same thing that she had seen. So they went home and I guess she got on Google and started, you know, searching for it. And she got a whole, she got my number and she called me. So yeah, that was pretty harrowing. Then we had another interesting case encounter where this woman and her husband were visiting Chicago. Her mother lived in a condo by on Lakeshore drive over by a Shore in Lakeshore drive. And she said as her, her husband and her were walking along Lakeshore in front of the condo, this huge dark beam flew right in front of them, from, from the lake in front of them, towards the building to their right, and literally flew up the side of the building. And as they watched this thing, it was, it was night, but there was light enough that they could see it. And as this thing, they watched this thing fly up the side of the building. It literally hovered in front of a window, like it was looking through the window. And she said they looked at it. And then it, this thing leaned back and started diving down toward the trees. And that's when they started running. And as they turned the corner at Shower and Lake Shore Drive and he- were heading towards the entrance to the, the, the condo, this thing literally slowly descended in front of them with its wings spread out. And she said that it was hovering about five, I don't know, maybe a couple of feet off the ground, but it was hovering still, you know, in the air. She said the legs were vibrating on this thing. They could feel the vibration of it. She said it had wide bat-like wings, with red, had red eyes, had a small head, And uh, it looked like it was wet. It was glistening, but it was dark color. And she literally fell to the ground. She couldn't compose her. She couldn't, you know, her husband literally had to grab her. And this thing slowly ascended off the ground and ascended up into the air and took off. Now, she did say she saw a flash from the right to the left of her. That somebody probably took a photo of it as they were standing there uh, were, she said there was another guy that was in a like a cargo van that had seen it and made a mention of it and got it in his van and took off but uh, yeah so it, it, it's funny because <laughs> the next day she called me and she, she was at her mother's house in the condo they were supposed to they were supposed to fly out of town that next day and she was so shook up they were grounded for three days but I, I i do know that the the husband is a professional athlete in washington dc and one of the professional teams i won't go into it but i knew who he was and and this is another unusual we've had several celebrities that have come forward with having encounters local celebrities people of interest and in, just kind of strange too but no, I mean that was a pretty harrowing encounter there, and you know. But no, they, the people have seen it flying and, and mentioned it and they reported it. But people, people have also encountered this thing as well.
0: Wow, and I wonder. You know, I did mention like it seems like there might be different categories, but you know, folks who have seen this creature up close and personal describe bat like features obviously mm-hmm. due to the popularity of that term for other reasons batman might not be the best you know thing to describe this creature but do you think when we're you know folding the owl man into this or the moth man into this do you think we're talking about the same creature or maybe even variations
1: yeah, Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think there were at least three variations mm. from some of the evidence and locations that were, you know, in, in times that they were showing up. I, you know, the, the descriptions that people have given us of these 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 beings are like Batman or a gargoyle. We get a gargoyle a lot. Uh, the cheap, the creepers, jeepers, jeepers, creepers, monster from the movies. Uh, we get all kinds of different connotations of what this thing looked like but uh, yeah I, I, but I think they were different I, I and in fact we we've got some some evidence that they they are different we made some cursory connections with some of these beings that we're still working on and you know some of the individuals on my team have had some either encounters or has some communication with them and uh, but you know at this point now we're not really releasing a whole lot of that we did early on at one point and we had people who were trying to connect with these beings and find them and do all kinds of stupid stuff. And we almost lost total communication. I I will say this, they do describe themselves as ultra terrestrial beings and that they have told us, which I, I found pretty fascinating that, A lot of the cryptid beings that people see on our earth plane come from the same dimension where they come from, and they're talking about Bigfoot, dog man, upright canines, other wing beings, a lot of stuff. It's a very near linear dimension to our dimension, our earth plane, and that they have the ability to move in and out of our, you know, of their dimension to ours, and you know we we. We we have like I said we have a lot of cursory and a lot of anecdotal evidence, but we have many many different encounters that, you know, at this point we're just not really ready to come forward with it, and but as time goes on we will, when feel that it's it's safe to come forward with it.
0: And I respect that. Yeah, I think the nature of this is pretty shocking, and uh, I think you know. That's often the excuse that the government gives as to why they keep a lot of this stuff under wraps. But I think you know there is some respect to be given there for sure. You
1: know, especially for. Well, you know, I'm not afraid to come out and and, and right. see what we you know we get. You know, I'm at the point I, I really don't care what people think anymore, and uh, if they don't like it, well, you know, they question all they want. I mean, God knows over all these years, I've heard enough flack. It doesn't, it kind of rolls off my back now. But no, this whole, this whole willing humanoid phenomena has been so fascinating and uh, the many connections that we've gotten because of it and some of the things we have learned, I I think they're very profound. And I I think at some point we're going to learn a few things uh, about this these beings and that cryptid world that we really don't know a whole lot about. You know, we have a lot of theories about what's going on. We're not finding bodies. We're not finding a lot of other stuff as we would, we found if these were indigenous animals or natural animals on that live among us. Now I, you know, I'm not saying just like with Bigfoot, I'm not saying there are, there are not any indigenous, indigenous Bigfoot or, Harry hominids, I believe there are. I believe there are some in the Pacific Northwest, of course, and areas just like in, in Florida and around the Gulf Coast. I, I believe there are indigenous creatures that we, we really don't know a whole lot about. But for the most part, we get a lot of single sightings in a lot of different areas in the country, like particularly here in Pennsylvania, that I believe are most likely some type of ultra-terrestrial multidimensional being. And, but until, you know, the only thing we can do is speculate at this point and until we get more information, more solid information, it's just a theory at this point.
0: Right. Right. And I agree. I think you, you make a great point, And it's well said. I wonder, you know, if the same is true for, some of these abduction cases that you also report on and the UFO cases, do you
1: believe that those are ultra terrestrial in origin as well? You know, they may be, it's hard to tell, you know, I've heard a lot of different scenarios over, over the years I've been investigating these abductions or encounters, but, you know, I, I believe these are separate beings. I I believe there are a lot of different factions. I I think they travel more through portals or wormholes as opposed to interstellar space, you know, long distances and such. If it is a long distance, I don't think for the most part it's on craft or UFOs or whatever people want to call those things. I think most of it is done through through dimensional travel. I would agree. I think that
0: events like the Philadelphia Experiment (laughs) seem to really open up the floodgates for more and more of these experiences. I don't know if you make the same. I know you, you've mentioned you're very much a student of history and it shows, but are there any more cases? There's this CERN portal that gets a lot of fingers pointed at it, but have you looked into this Philadelphia experiment and, and do you, do you cite that as possibly uh, a connection to this, you know, <coughs> interdimensional weaving or or maybe the fabric kind of ripping loose to let you know this parallel dimension through
1: well i think the theory itself of what had supposedly happened with the philadelphia experience and magnetic energy i think is may very well have happened. i don't know if it happened in that particular instance there have been documented cases where the navy and the military have experimented on this type of a phenomenon i, I know of three other cases i don't I don't know the ships. I don't remember the ships offhand, but I do know there have been reports of similar experiments with other ships, but it, to doing with using magnetic energy to kind of open the, open the veil and <laughs> to be able to you your know, time travel or move into another dimension. But um you know, I, I'm quite sure there's a lot of those similar type experiments that have been conducted at some point that we just don't know anything about. You know, we're, you know, disclosure is not a strong point for the federal government and the military, and, you know, what they do give you is going to be something that they can control or something that's been so declassified. It's, you know, just like with these Tic tac sightings and stuff I mean this stuff has been known by most ufologists before that and it's not really new information now as far as otherworldly beings or people people may call aliens I that's going to be need to know and we're only going to need to know when the thing lands on the White House lawn so I, I don't think we're going to hear much of anything until that happens or anything like that happens.
0: right
1: uh, what yeah. do you what do you make of you know in that instance
0: valiant thor the you know alleged mm-hmm. you know martian or whoever that came and and hung out with the congressmen for that period of time have you looked into that
1: yeah you know i i'm i'm I still got a lot of questions about the valiant thor and some other instances for so-called extraterrestrials or alien beings lived among us and you know i'm, I'm good friends with raymond keller who's probably the the one of the best read ufologist that I have ever met. And, uh, he, you know, I, I run a lot of his, uh, a lot of his writings up on the blog. Occasionally he's written some very fascinating books, but I, I think at some point he, he's going to do something about Valiant Thor and, you know, he does make in, inject some, some thoughts about Valiant Thor in some of his writings. But as far as getting into the nitty gritty about, you know, him, I I don't know. I mean, he may come forward. I've asked him about it in the past. I I am fascinated by the whole thing. But, you know, I I think there is, there may be some truth to it. I really, really, I mean, I honestly do believe there may be some truth to the Valiant Thor story. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I do find it very compelling. But you know, switching gears a little bit to maybe something that is a little closer to home for you. Can you fill us in on, for those who don't know, a gentleman who you know, David Eckhart and some mm-hmm. of the strange things that have gone on in his life?
1: You know, I met David about a dozen years ago. He, he had been having some strange encounters at his home in very near Pensacola, Florida. And, um. He was trying to get to document it with, first, with MUFON and other individuals, and he just wasn't getting anywhere. You know, MUFON's got a bad habit of not getting involved with entity cases. Unless it's, you know, unless it's some type of craft or something, they really don't look into it, you know. Even with abductions, they're just very poor. They're very poor with coming forward, that kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah, he was having some issues and I I had seen a video that he had made of some frames that he had captured at home in his bedroom with these, these beings. So when it went up, I got a hold of him and I had him, I, I asked him to explain everything that had been going on and, you know, he was telling me, uh, some of the encounters he's had where he's had, he and his family have been abducted, taken to other locations where he had had surgery done by these beings to correct his rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, A lot of different things. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I I would have had a lot of questions about David for like the first six months. You know, we were talking every day. I mean, we talked for hours every day when I first, after I first, start, first met him, I honestly thought he just had some, some entity or spirit issues at the house. And this is a house he built. So I thought something was going or other than, you know, other than other worldly beings. But as time went on, he started showing his evidence to me. And he was coming up with all kinds of different ways of photographing and videotaping and getting all kinds of different evidence. I, I, I came to the conclusion that he was, he was very serious about this and he wanted to find answers. He's a, a very intelligent individual. He, you know, he's got his own construction company. He's well-versed in mathematics and such, and he can put stuff, take stuff apart and put stuff together. And he, you know, he's, he's very well-versed in that and uh, he was setting up different ways of getting by trial and error be honest with you, he lost a lot of cam corners at first he's loses a lot of he loses a lot of cell phones as well these things have a habit of frying equipment and i've seen some of the equipment i mean it looks like they literally got zapped some type of energy i mean it, you know it's, it's crazy but anyway as time went on i i started documenting what he was telling me and what he was showing me, and I started presenting on the blog. And uh, as time went on, uh, there was a production company, a production crew, Factor Fake, The Paranormal Files, who took a chance, and they they went ahead and filmed what was happening with him. And, you know, the, their conclusion was, not I had talked to them later personally, Ben Hansen was the individual who was running, running the investigation. He told me, he said, you know, we tried so many things to disprove what David was going through, mm-hmm. but he said we just couldn't do it. And he said the earthworm incident was really convincing for me, and David had told me about this. And uh, what happened was... One of the nights they were filming, David had told me that when these entities would show up, all the earthworms and nightcrawls and stuff would come to the service in, in the, on the property. It was charging the, the property where these things would rise out of the ground. So they, <laughs> the fact the fake crew were out, they had their truck out front, And they were, you know, they were trying to run some experiments. David was in the bedroom and there was people in the house. There was one guy up in the tree right out in front of his window. And then all of a sudden, all the equipment started going haywire. Now they did. If you see it in the episode, they will show some of that. But when this happened, David said, they're here. And, you know, they were showing the screens inside the truck that were all, you know, all, you know, had static and everything. So, when it all calmed down after several minutes, Ben walked out of the truck and he said he went over to the, the lawn and he said it was covered with worms. And uh, he said... I, I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was worms everywhere. It was like, the, you know, somebody took, you know, how, you know, when they people go in and gather night crawlers, they take these probes and put it in the ground. They rise up. It was just like the whole area was, was charged. I mean, David had told me that he knew every morning that after he had an encounter, he would have to go out and grab the hose and, and wash all the earthworms off the driveway in the in the sidewalk out onto the street, I know his neighbors were raising the hell about it. He said there were literally hundreds and thousands of those damn earthworms out on the driveway and and, and on the, uh, you know, on the uh, sidewalk. What a mess! <laughs> yeah, and it was happening every time. And fortunately, it happened when the crew was there. Yeah, and you know when I when I talked to them about what they had, then encountered before the show went on the air. They told me, he said, we, we just, you know, we thought that was all a bunch of crap when he we, he told us about it, but it happened right there in front of us. Mm. So, yeah, that pretty well sealed it in their mind. So, yeah, they never could. Uh, they never could disprove any of it. Right. Well, and,
0: you know, you bring up the point of the equipment malfunctioning, and it's something that I discuss with uh, host of the Confessionals podcast, Tony Merkel, on the point of, you know, when we bring this equipment into the field as researchers, I asked him, and I'll ask this question to you, especially given your you know many years of experience doing this. Do you think that electronic equipment might interfere with the process itself in a way, maybe giving a sort of a signal or static off that would probably you know turn these beings away or? Or maybe even in some cases, like the worms, you know, attract uh, certain creatures, not the ones we'd want.
1: But how do you think equipment plays into this? Oh, I I think it may have some part in it. I I think they can do things they want to do, despite a lot of that. Uh, You know, David had told me that he was told by one of the beings that they can travel through the electrical conduits of a house. You know and then manifest back into you know that they have the ability to do that i don't know if that's true or not but he swore that that was you know they could do that right. you know these portals that he was going through him and his family were going through were roping right up in his bedroom and they were literally carrying them out into this underground what he thought it was an underground cavern huge underground cavern on this planet. He only believes he was taken off planet at one point where they took him to the other side of the far side of the moon. He believes he was taken there and that he had met some type of council or something. He said they were calling themselves the council of five. I don't know how true that is. I've heard a lot of different, you know, a lot of different theories about this council of five, but you know, I don't know how true that is, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, some of the things that he witnessed, and, you know, this it, is another thing. We don't know why David was was picked for this. It's almost like he was given the opportunity to see a lot of this stuff by their choice and to put it out there, I guess. And it is still ongoing to this day, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, he moved into another house and it still happens. Wow. And he has dealt with different factions over the years. At first, when his, his these encounters started happening, he was dealing with grays and reptilian type beings. He had one reptilian being that was basically his guide, the one who was with him every time they came. He didn't like David. He didn't like, he didn't like humans. And he gave David a hard time. But, but he told him a lot of different things. And now most of the beings are human-like that are coming through. They don't open up portals in the walls or anything. They they have these transporting, transport-like machines where they come through. They let out a blue light, and, and he's captured some of these on on you know, on film or on recorded. So yeah, some of the stuff he's come up with are, are very interesting. You know, like I said, I wrote a whole chapter in my book about him and I'll be honest with you there's a lot of stuff that I, I didn't put in there because I I, be, I just don't think people are ready to hear all of it because, you know, some of it was pretty scary. You know, I, I do say beginning of the book that, you know, I, I will tell people what I believed, you know, what I was told and, you know, I won't try to sugarcoat it but honestly there's some stuff i just couldn't disclose i may be i may at one point but i i it's it's some pretty harrowing stuff i understand your apprehension Todd i
0: mean especially given the next uh incident i wanted to get into somebody you know a gentleman who unfortunately is no longer around todd sees someone who Mm. you know disappeared right up at the fork of the susquehanna river which is a very significant power place if you follow michael Wand's research and i think you know these types of strange anomalies are bound to happen in these areas whether the energy is considered good or bad the energy is 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 there you know and but for those who may never heard of this before, can you please tell us a little bit about Todd's season, what happened to him while he was, I think it was snowmobiling or ATV riding, one of the two?
1: Yeah, he had an ATV. He, um, he used to ride on his property. He lived right along the, the Montour Ridge, north of Northumberland, Pennsylvania. And you're right, there's, a, there's the western and the main branch of the Susquehanna River that's right there at the town. And one morning in August, apparently, and this is a story that we got, that he was, he got on his ATV early in the morning and and drove up the ridge, telling, told everybody he was just scouting deer for the next deer season. I don't know how true that is, but that's what they were told. And he said he'd be back around noon. Well, he never showed up. So right away, the family contacted the police and let them know, and you know, when they, and, and look, they had like almost 200 people searching this ridge and the property. It was pretty expensive property. But uh, this guy just disappeared. I mean, you know, the ATV was still up there. There were some articles clothes that were still there, but C's was none done around. And you know, later on there were reports that came into New Fork. The reporting agency that there were two sightings, separate sightings on opposite sides of the ridge, of a a very large disk-shaped craft that was hovering above the top of the ridge by the power line. And one of these witnesses stated that they saw what looked like a human being pulled up into this craft through a beam of light. So this came this came weeks after the incident was you know after the incident occurred but anyway they they had been out there searching the property for him and uh, like i said it was in the dog days of august and it was very hot but they had cadaver dogs they had search dogs they had the whole nine yards There was a pond there they had a, they had scuba in there looking in the pond nothing no trace of him whatsoever other than what was left at the atv and then, about 36 hours into the search, the, the evening of the following day, his son saw something out in the yard, white, something white, and it was Totsi's body just laying there in a ditch. He had uh, an uh, undershirt and boxer shorts on, and that's all he's had. He was laying on his back with his arm. Across him like that, uh, and that didn't—that information didn't come out until we actually got a hold of the uh, the autopsy report. We got the full autopsy report later on. But yeah, I mean, this guy just showed up out of nowhere, like somebody dropped him from the sky. You know, and
0: people been going
1: by the by this area for a, a day and a half, and nobody saw anything, and all of a sudden he shows up. Right, and he was dead course, and so when when the discovery was reported, all the people that were still there on the property, even people who had been doing the search, were all gathered up and taken to a, a nearby fire station. They were taken into the hall and they were let in there and two guys dressed in suits locked the doors. And told these people, and this is what we heard from witnesses, told them that you know nothing about this. You're not going to talk to anybody about this. This is, you know, you're going to keep quiet. And they basically threatened them to shut up. So, of course, people were saying, well, these were FBI agents, which I don't believe. I believe they were Air Force, to be honest with you. I think they were military. Because this this whole thing was a mystery from the beginning, and the fact that people had seen a UFO or a craft or something in the area. And I'm sure there were other sightings of these craft as well. The body was, was left there until the coroner came, the coroner of the county who owned a funeral home. He, and the the identification was funny too, because they, they wouldn't let any of the family look at the body for whatever reason. The only person, the person who identified the body was a, somebody who worked for the, the police department. What was the name of the township? I forget that, Point Township Police Department who knew Todd Seas, and he identified the body. But nobody in the family saw it. They gathered the body up, took it to the funeral home of this coroner, and then the next day, the body was transported about 80 miles east to Allentown, Pennsylvania, to a private forensic lab where they did the autopsy. And when the body was supposedly returned to the family, it was sealed in a lead coffin case or whatever. And the family was told, do not open it, do not examine it, bury it. Wow. So that's what they were told. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so we got we did eventually get my my colleague butch witkowski who recently passed away unfortunately he got the autopsy report the full autopsy report 22 page report of you know of this and the cause of death which was also listed in the paper was t- cocaine toxicity which was a bunch of crap i mean there's no way this guy was High on coke, came down the ridge with nobody seeing him, just dropped dead. I mean that—that's just ridiculous. One of the more remarkable findings in the autopsy was, first of all, there was very little blood in the body. He Mm. was drained. They literally had to take blood out of the lake. That's the only place they could find it. You know, normally when you open somebody up and take a blood sample, you take it out of the cavity. Well, there was nothing there. There was never, you know, the, the report of cocaine toxicity was interesting because, you know, the first thing they do is they open the throat up and see how he ingested the cocaine. And there was there was no report of any cocaine being found in the throat, nose passage, anything. Stomach content, the only thing it listed was a small amount of a, a green mucus substance god knows what that was and the body had scratches all over it i mean like it went through a one couple briar bushes and stuff a lot of scratches and had a small spot on the on the temple of about a two inch wide it looked like decomposition but it really didn't get any specific as to what it was i think what happened was that this he saw this thing when he was up there And he was trying to get away from it and went through the bushes and stuff and kind of scratched himself all up. And they grabbed him and pulled him up there. And I think he was abducted. And I think something went wrong, and I think he died as a result of it. But the fact that there was very little blood in the body, who knows what was going on. So, I mean... It it's, there's a lot of different stuff involved with this. The, the family has not been cooperative at all. You know, we have very little information that is public knowledge about this guy, other than a few things we turned up, but, you know, the, you know, but I doubt the guy died from toxicity of but cocaine because he was a little league coach. He was in a small town. If this guy had been a drug addict, I, I don't think he'd have been doing that. You know, he, had, he was he was gainfully employed. He was a, actually, he drove a, a bread truck for one of the local bakeries. So that's the Todd C's case in a nutshell. You know, I, I wrote about it in, in my book, Alien Disclosure, and that case is in there and a couple other cases, plus, plus David's, David's chapters in there as well. So, I mean, these are all things I've been involved with over the years. Right. And but, I see, you know, this, this Todd sees thing has bugged me from the very beginning. I mean, when this thing happened in 2002, I, you know, I didn't know what to make of it and there was very little information coming out and I was kind of frustrated about it for years, almost a decade. So, but still, you know, we probably, Butch and I probably got further than any other investigator in that case. Right. Right. And, you know, I see that you,
0: recently published these three books in uh, 2021 i imagine you know with everything changing the way it did you might have had yeah. some some extra time to do that i'm excited to to order those i'm wondering you know after all these years what keeps you motivated and inspired to do this work and put out this
1: information what, what, well, what do you, well there's just a lot of weird things to happen i mean um uh, i want answers i'd like to be able to discover some things at some point and, you know, come up with a reasonable answer as to why these things happen. You know, we've got, we live in a strange world. I mean, it's just not black and white. There's a lot of different things going on all the time. And, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with with this. And uh, of course, with, you know, my experiences as a kid and of course my later experiences with cryptids and, you know, it kind of culminated into what I do. And then I got involved with the uh, the blog, and I just I just got done writing my ninth book. My Roy books aren't in publish aren't in print anymore. But no, the, these three books that you're talking about they were republished okay in recent, in recent years. i mistake. Uh, but I've got a, now. Well, it's all right. I've got a new I've got a new book coming out in about a week. Actually, all right. On tell us about that. Oh, uh, well, it's it's titled the Meme Humanoids and basically what it is, it's about this uh, pale crawler humanoid phenomena, and it kind of starts out with a lot of historical cases like the Dover Demon, and of course with the Slender Man and the meme activity on the internet and how this is possibly turned into not just an idea or a graphic on the internet, that thought forms and tulpas may be involved, and we may be seeing a the nexus of a new type of human species or humanoid like species and i've got a lot of cases in there and well it, you know, it kind, kind of, of uh, it.
0: <laughs> it kind of alludes to john d's i think it was john d i hope i'm not misquoting but john d and his talk of the future being ruled by dead matter you know and this whole transhumanist thing i mean mm-hmm. wow yeah i never thought of the slender man as possibly like a You know, an an entity that existed within the computer itself, but that's—I mean—that's so fascinating.
1: Well, like you know, it's just like a lot of other phenomena, like poltergeists and stuff. It takes a human mind, right? And human—the human mind's a strange thing. I mean, it's more powerful than what people give credit for. And you know, if you if you understand and believe in thought form manifestation and tulpas, you know humans may very well have the ability to manifest using their minds unconsciously other beings. And, and that's the argument I make in this book. Uh, you know, these, these ideas and these graphics and things that were developed on the internet and became popular and became memes may at some point manifest as a result of human unconscious thought. I would agree. And I think, you know, maybe just take it
0: a step further, I would say they're weaponizing that to, you know, get the average person to sort of consent to a reality that may not be in
1: their best interest. Well, that may very well be too. Right. And here's to say that we're not seeing an actual, no matter where they're coming from, are they manifesting because of us or possibly coming from another dimension? That we may be seeing the nexus of another human species.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of brings to mind something that Michael Juan and I were talking about recently, which is this uh, invisible ships theory that, you know, something so new and radical is almost invisible to the average person when it really mm-hmm. literally
1: could be right on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, this is another theory we've had about these winged humanoids that I believe personally that a, a lot of these sightings have happened in front of a lot of people, and only it only seems a few are able to see it. Right. Now, do they have the ability to discern which person can see it or identify it? I don't know. But, you know, you got to think about that when you, you see some of these reports. There have been instances where several people have seen it, but there have been instances where it's been hundreds and thousands of people at a location, only one or two people actually see it. Right. Right. And even with the, you
0: know, proliferation of distractions in our modern age, you'd also mm. think that you'd equally have uh, the capacity now for more high quality footage to be taken than ever before in history. I mean, you would assume well, such so. another thing,
1: you know, <laughs> I, you know, I always get this question, but what, you know, with the advent of cell phones as such, and the technology, why aren't we getting photographs of these things? Well, these sightings, for the most part, have been fleeting sightings. Right. A lot yeah. of times they're at night. You know, if, if you're standing there and one of these things shows up in front of you, the, the, you know, for, you're not thinking about grabbing your phone and taking a photograph. Maybe some people are wired like that. I, I don't know if I would be. I think I would be more shocked <laughs> looking at this thing. As opposed to grabbing my phone and and focusing on and getting a shot. But the sightings are very brief. So, you know, the opportunity to do that is usually not there. Absolutely.
0: I, too christmases ago i saw somebody's lawn ornament floating uh through the neighborhood about 40 feet in the sky it was an upside down inflatable santa claus just floating uh, there's a big gust of wind and uh, i really regret to this day not pulling my phone out in time to take a picture of that but yeah i mean <laughs>
1: you, you know you, you don't realize it. You, don't, you don't realize that you got something there that you could take a photograph of it but you know you're 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 looking at what you're and trying to discern what you're looking at, first of all, before you even think of taking a photograph of it. Exactly. For the first five seconds, I was thinking I was looking at a real UFO,
0: and now I was looking at Santa Claus's rear end. But, (laughs) you
1: know, here we
0: are, Lon. I mean, you've been so generous with your time. I don't know if you're a night owl like me, but you were kind enough to postpone this until a little later in the hour. So I do want to let you go. But before you go, please... Tell us where they can find the books. I see some of them are on Amazon. Is there a better place to purchase the books? Do you recommend people go there? And obviously, phantomsandmonsters.com is the blog. But where can people go to follow up with you, Mr. The
1: blog is phantomsandmonsters.com. My team I work with is Phantoms and Monsters 14 Research. That website is uh, cryptidhunters.org. I have a radio show, Fans of Monsters Radio, which is live every Friday night at nine o'clock on YouTube. Uh, just search Fans of Monsters, and it'll come up. Uh, my book can be found on Amazon. I don't know if my publisher, which is Beyond the Free Publishing, sells on their on their website yet. I think it's all done on Amazon. So uh, yeah, you can if you just put my name on Amazon; it'll come up. Right
0: on, yeah, and we'll put the links to that in the description as well as the blog and the youtube show i didn't realize that was a thing and i'm excited to check that out but again mr strickler Lon, this has been a pleasure to have you here and, and go through some of the really strange things going on in our backyard here in the States. And I mean, there is so much more. I mean, the topic of cryptids just is is an endless dive into so many different creatures from the flying ones to the walking ones to the swimming ones. So I'd love to have you back on one day to get sure. into to more creatures. And yeah, for folks listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Please do support Lon at phantomsandmonsters.org and uh, thank you for being here enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now for listening and thank you for tuning in to this conversation with Lon Strickler, someone who is a seasoned pro in the paranormal research world. Someone who you can find at the website phantomsandmonsters.com. And it's interesting because when I was first researching lawn through one of my favorite podcasts the higher side Chats. shout out to Greg Carlwood he's amazing if you don't know about him you better listen you better become a plus member and while you're at it support us on patreon as well we are on patreon so is the higher side chats so you can get both In one place. Anyways, so when I was researching, I found Lon Strickler, listened to his interview, followed up with his websites, phantomandmonsters.com. I don't know why I said .org. phantomsandmonsters.com. And then we have another link. And I don't think Lon made this website, but it's really cool. And I thought, who better to talk about this website with Then my friend Andy Rouse from the Deep Share podcast. Uh, This is definitely a deep share. So I shared the website with him. I said, hey, go to www.newanimal.org and check out all these cryptids, man. I'm sure there's some on there you might not have heard of before. And sure enough, I was right. And we ended up talking about a bunch of stuff from the sea monsters to the land monsters to the air monsters. I'm not really me and Lon talked about that. But yeah, it was a good conversation with both parties. You're about to listen to the extended outro with my friend Andy from the Deep Share podcast. But before we get to that, I just want to say today's show is sponsored by Truth Smacks. That's right. Truth Smacks is a trail mix with Mind-opening potential. Not only is it packed with flavor, but it's packed with information. That's right. It's packed with knowledge. There are quotes all over the bag, okay? I have it right here in my hand. The greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. That's a quote from Daniel Boorston. Here's another. He does not sound like a boar, I should say. Here's another quote. The men we detest most violently are those who try to tell us the truth. It's a quote from H.L. Mencken. Think about that, folks. When you detest me, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. So don't detest me in the YouTube comments. Don't detest me in the Apple reviews. Leave us a good review. Leave us a nice, kind message. It helps the show. It helps us grow. And all we're trying to do is spread love and positivity. And if you're with that, you can sign up on the Patreon and magnify the positivity, not only in my life, but in yours. I think my life was extremely, extremely benefited when I began to support podcasts. It was a shift. It was a generous thing I could do uh, to listen to some bonus content and support these shows and help them stay on the airwaves. And when I did that, I created some kind of karmic resonance that propelled me into exactly what I'm doing right now. So if you do the same by supporting our Patreon, with no guarantees, the same might happen for you, whether it manifests itself as a podcast, or maybe you're the CEO of your company, or maybe you get, uh, you know, a new lease on life and you, you know, change your life or whatever it is that you have going on. Who knows? For me, it's finding a new place to live. For you, it might be, you know, finding finding a new car, finding a new job, finding a new relationship. But for me, it's about finding a new place to live right now. I've been all over the map. Anyways, it would definitely help if you supported us on Patreon. And if you supported us on Rockfin. So we can upgrade and move into a place where I can have my own studio. And there won't be a freaking furnace in the background that makes a bunch of noise during the episodes. And then I got to edit it all out. Wow, what am I doing? I'm sounding like a little baby. Anyways... Here we are in the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, in the zone. If you want to get in touch with me, hit me up on Telegram. We have a Telegram. It's amazing. There's people talking there. Some of the brightest minds on social media are in our Telegram. They're amazing. They're saying things that blow my mind every day, okay? If I had my phone on me, I would tell you those things, but I don't. Here it is. Okay. Telegram. Karen posted a Karen posted a video about Elon Musk. And I found out some really bad things about Elon Musk. Elon Musk is up to no good. Very bad boy. Very, very bad boy. Karen also posted Truckers of America. So people are just posting stuff. Highest level of secret societies. Wow, Karen is flaming the chats with knowledge Joe Rizzo joined the chat shout out to you Chad Warren up in the chat shout out to you dude it's the weekend people are chatting people are getting together and if you like the camaraderie on the show sign up for the patreon every month we do a patreon meetup that's right all the folks get together and we talk on a zoom call and hang out and last month it went great this month, uh, it'll be happening tomorrow, which is two days prior to when this episode will come out. So if you're hearing this now and you're not on the Patreon, sign up and get in touch with us for the March Patreon meetup. Anyways, here we are, twenty twenty two, on to the extended outro with Andy Rouse. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Go check out our merch. We got badass t shirts. And that's it. Mothman, Owlman, Booyah. Sit back and roll something up. Maybe pour yourself a drink and hang around for this extended outro where Andy from the Deep Share Podcast and I take a look at the weird, wild world of cryptids that I think aren't usually talked about. We touched on a couple interesting ones. So for being here. Hey, what's up, Andy? How you doing, brother? Yo. What's going on, dude?
2: Cool. <laughs> Not much, man. Figure out the audio.
0: Did you get a chance to look at that link I sent you?
2: Yeah man, that's pretty uh it's like an all-encompassing encyclopedia.
0: <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really connect to the guests so much as like Greg Carlwood, for whatever reason, linked this website when he had uh, Lon Strickler on his podcast. But I don't mm-hmm. think Lon is associated with this website. Anyways, oh, okay. but I found it, and I was like, God, this is really cool. I couldn't bring it up with Lon because I don't think he's associated with it. So I figured let's talk about it together because I know you're doing your Witness series, and... Maybe I'm just confusing it because of the name, but I think eventually you're going to get around to doing an episode on cryptids, right? If you haven't already.
2: Yeah. Because I find that there's too many parallels, man. I mean, you know, even though there's plenty of examples that don't seem very psychedelic or psychic or, you know, otherworldly necessarily, it's still high strangeness, you know, and it's all consciousness.
0: Right. It's funny also, it seems like people who um, have these experiences, it tends to be what brings them into a new way of seeing the world. It's much rarer that you find someone who maybe uh, is familiar with this realm that then goes and has a sighting. I, I mean, I don't know if you've had any paranormal experiences yourself, but I have, and I came from it from the... Pure like armchair perspective.
2: Yeah, I actually have had an encounter that, looking back at it, I've like kind of decided that it was something of high strangeness. My initial reaction was that it might have been a bear, but as time went on, this was years ago. I remember we talked on, about
0: this the first I time we talked, right? This, uh, yeah, with, yeah, at this yeah. sort of haunted place out there in Mass.
2: Well, no, this was um a Bigfoot situation up in uh-huh. New Hampshire.
0: Well, then no, this story is completely new to me. Go ahead, let's can oh, you sure. would you mind sharing?
2: Yeah, no, by all means. Yeah, I actually was able was honored to share this story years ago on Wes Germer's podcast uh Sasquatch Chronicles. No way. And, uh, Do you
0: know what episode number that was?
2: dude i wish i remembered and <laughs> I, I look it up i could go back and look and it, you know it's funny because wes always has awesome names for his episodes so you can't just kind of jump in and find a, a name or anything necessarily you know mm. a lot of time it's like dad and son have a run-in or whatever Right, right, right. but um yeah so anyway weeks had gone by And I started to look back at this experience I had, and I started to look at it in a whole new way after starting to listen to Wes's show and uh, a couple other shows, you know, having to do with cryptids and stuff like that. I, um, I started to link up certain aspects of my experience with a lot of repetitive things I kept hearing over and over again, this weird connection between flying orbs and Bigfoot and I just so happened to have similar experiences to that in the same night out in the woods, and I hadn't connected it before that, so what happened was a friend and I were up hiking a mountain, and we usually start in the evening, and we would make camp, you know, a mile into our hike, and then do a, you know, the bigger part of our hike early morning and the rest of the weekend, so we get up at about probably a 1000 to 1500 feet above sea level, not too high up or anything, but we're, we're starting to gain some elevation. And we catch something following us for quite a while. My friend said something to me, we had both noticed it earlier. And, uh, you know, we kept seeing eyes, we kept seeing, uh, hearing a breaking of sticks and, you know, uh, some sort of pitter patter out in the wilderness. So we're like, okay, something's on the trail or near us and we're thinking it might be a black bear because around that time of year they like to follow hikers around new england you know they don't really get too aggressive but they get pretty close sometimes so we're thinking this must be a black bear so we keep moving and about a mile later my friend stops and he said it cut us off dude it came up the other trail and it cut us off and now it's in front of us So this, whatever it was, was making a ton of noise about 50 feet ahead of us. So we walked slowly but surely thinking maybe it's out in the woods and the trail will kind of spiral away, but instead it led right to where this thing was and whatever it was stood up or was crouching and stood up or was on all fours and got to two two legs one or the other, but it was too dark to tell. And we didn't have our headlamps out yet, but it was just too dark to really make anything out, of course. And it was behind quite a big uh, birch tree, one of those white birch trees that we have around here. Uh, And my buddy's first reaction, stupid, stoned, was to make loud Ape noises at it. He started just going, ooh, 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 like that. And that's what made whatever it was furious. And it roared at us. And I didn't really think about it at the time. But thinking after the fact, listening back to my own memory, at least what my memory tells me. We know memories can lie, too. But at least from my own memory, it was more of like a guttural warning sound more than an an actual like animalistic bear growl or something like that. And at that moment, that's when the tree started shaking violently. And we're talking about a tree that, you know, we came back to it on our way out of this trip. And that tree was a good 10 inches around, you know? It was a big birch tree. It wasn't some little thing. But um yeah, so it shook the tree or whatever. And then both of us had weapons in our hands. We both had our hunting knives in our hands and we just decided to scream as loud as we could. We gave it our best death metal groans and whatever it was slowly backed up and moved away. From my perspective, I couldn't see it drop back down on all fours or anything like that. I just saw it slowly fade into gray and I couldn't see anything. Uh, We ended up sleeping on a cliff that night with a fire behind us uh, facing the woods uh, because my friend and I were pretty terrified at that point. And, yeah, we we just thought it was a bear. And then, yeah, looking back, hindsight, the tree was huge that it was, quote, unquote, shaking. And I just don't understand how a, a bear even could have managed to do that, the sound it made, and the height of it this thing was standing at a certain height with the brush around it and next to this tree, and it would've made, would made it at least like seven or eight feet tall. And the bears around our parts, they might be able to touch seven feet, I don't know. I mean, that's really pushing it for a New England black bear, you know? But I mean, it could be a flight of fancy, but oddly enough, that same night, two, two encounters with flying orbs, the first one was when we initially arrived at the state park where we go hiking, and we pulled into the parking lot. Uh, right as we were pulling into the parking lot, I saw this massive light. And I pointed out to the driver, my friend, and he said, well, it's the parking lot. We're basically here. And I was like, oh, okay. And we just forgot about it. I thought it was a big you know, parking lot light. So we pulled in. We parked, we got our stuff together, we got out of the car, stretched, and I'm walking around the area and I realize there's no lights anywhere. You know, we're in New Hampshire, we're at a state park, there's no big parking lights at those those lots. And I'm like, well, what the hell was that? And then sure enough, at the end of the trip, on our way back out of the woods, nearing dusk, we both saw a similar thing in the sky, just blatantly there past the trees, right around the same parking lot. And we got back down, no parking lot lights. So we saw something hovering, looked exactly the same as the one when we were coming in. And yeah, no lights in any area of that forest. So yeah, it was a weird experience altogether. And only in hindsight did I realize that, this kind of has some weird, strange markings. All the stick breaking that we heard on the way in, that turns out is a huge marker of, of Sasquatch as well. So
0: so I, I assume you weren't uh, all that familiar with the subject. Were you at least aware that this kind of creature was out there at this age when you were hiking? I assume you were a lot younger.
2: I was in my yeah mid-20s. Um, I was aware of Bigfoot. I was also aware that it was usually somewhere far away. Mm. Like no one ever talked about Bigfoot in Massachusetts or New Hampshire. Really? I didn't hear much about it. Cryptids wasn't really my thing anyway, even if I was still into high strangeness, I never used to connect it all together, but yeah, this was one of those stepping stones that kind of led me into learning more about it. I mean, I think I found Wes's show just because I had probably recently discovered podcasting itself on a real intense level. So I was going all over the place and I thought, Hey, I'm in the mood to hear a bunch of redneck wood stories about Bigfoot. This sounds great. And sure enough, it's like one of the best cryptozoological podcasts podcasts ever existed. And Wes is the man, you know?
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I like that show a lot. So yeah, for me, it's definitely, I feel like I'd be biased going into the woods because I'm almost hoping to run across one of those beings, which I hope wouldn't defeat my intentions. But uh, on the topic of orbs and Sasquatch being related, I've heard this multiple times, even from uh, a past guest, someone who joined us, his name is Seb Bland. He's like a astral projector, and he's had a lot of different uh, strange astral experiences that might lead you to think that Sasquatch is much more uh, intelligent and aware than most people would assume when they hear or see typical stories about it. But I wonder if maybe the orb is like a soul projection of the Sasquatch and it can kind of like see what's going on and then, like, return its consciousness back into itself. But when it's, like, flying around, it, like, emanates this light.
2: You know, at the end of Wes's every episode, he asks his guest, what do you think Sasquatch is? What do you think the orbs are? You know, he kind of gives that open-ended thing to his guest. I would love to hear a response to that, like you just gave to the orbs, because that is a great idea that it's kind of like, not just, not just that they're thrown together, but that Sasquatch maybe uses something like these orbs or it's uh yeah, it's either a projection or maybe, I don't know, dare I say like a technology or something like that, a psychic technology that he could use perhaps maybe, I mean, especially when we have so many theories about Bigfoot being like more than just a, uh, you know, a hominid, out in the woods, you know, all these different ideas of interdimensional Bigfoot or, you know, there's many different ideas about it. I hear Nephilim a lot randomly from, uh, from a lot of the, uh, the people on, on Sasquatch shows, just kind of making those big leaps of connection. But I mean, who knows?
0: Yeah, I I definitely think that's a leap too. I was just actually, (laughs) um, I was just talking to a guest, not, Today's episode's guest, which uh, for folks listening, a little look behind the curtain here. Andy was not silently sitting in on the interview. This is a separate (laughs) conversation taking place in an entirely separate time. I talked a lot like two weeks ago now, but uh, just this evening I was talking to someone named Neil Guar. That episode will be coming out in a week or so and he talked about the Paracas skulls and how there's possibly a Nephilim connection between the Paracas skulls, which were not cryptids. They were human beings that just had, like, weird skulls. So, yeah, Mm. I definitely am more on the side of, like, Nephilim or probably of different variation of human. That's not to say that Sasquatch couldn't be. I've even heard people say there used to be a sort of... uh, practice among certain tribes that you know a certain a men of certain age would go out and become like a wild man for a couple years and just live in the forest i've heard some researchers say well what if it's just a bunch of wild men that never (laughs) returned you know i mean i don't know it's a little out there but there's definitely a plethora of explanations for bigfoot
2: It kind of sounds like what happens with the Amish kids, right? That Mm. they they go off into the city life, and (laughs) sometimes they don't go back.
0: Yeah, like the opposite (laughs) of that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and it's interesting too because the the site you showed me there's you know what an incredible encyclopedia of all the different cryptids that are talked about, and there's so many crossovers. The Wild Man being one of them. That you know I've I looked at that website pretty deeply into like Dog Man. And werewolves and the beast of Bray Road and the wild men of both Europe and East Asia. And there's all these super crossovers. I mean, there's there's like six Bigfoots on that list without saying it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's not different that it's name. Yeah, it's not necessarily that anything's being copied. It's just that these are different regions of the world talking about a similar experience. So whatever's going on, maybe on a psychic level, also on a physical level, it's on all these levels perhaps at once, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, an example, and we're talking about uh, newanimal.org, which is kind of like a cryptid zoo, is what it's titled on the top of the website. <laughs> but to add to the wild man thing, we have one example, which I doubt many people have heard of, uh, but the Mapinguari, a hairy biped reported from the Amazon rainforest. Of course, the Amazon rainforest has its own Bigfoot. Why wouldn't it? It's the biggest rainforest in the world. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just sheds light on what you're saying, how there's just so many different ones. Now, the Beast of Bray Road, this is one that I think I've heard a couple podcasts tackle it as a separate topic in and of itself. But when you hear that Beast of Bray Road, you're thinking, like, could this be, you know, uh, some kind of like werewolf or something right and it right. is it's kind of like a it's like a mix between a werewolf and a bigfoot it's like it's kind of debated what it really is but there's um there's sort of a, a like another oddity is you know you'd assume that these beings live in places where there's vast vast wilderness united kingdom is a pretty small place not saying that there aren't vast rural expanses but it's just you know if we're gonna do probabilities here you'd be more suspicious possibly of a case like this but happened i think in uh in not too long ago even and uh, right. yeah what did you find when you looked into the beast of bray road anything
2: that so I had always heard from other podcasts as well that kind of covered it in a fun way. You know, it's like a spooky tale about a werewolf type creature. But again, I find so many crossovers with, and this was in Wisconsin. It's, it's yeah, it happened in like I believe the 70s, right? Was that? Um,
0: I think you know it was- what it is? I you're right. I'm totally wrong here. I I hear Bray Road, and for whatever reason. I'm confusing it with something that happened in the UK. So yeah, this is in Wisconsin. So let me just reverse the tape and take back everything <laughs> I just said before. Take it away. Andy. It's all good.
2: I, <laughs> I just brushed up when you sent me that link. I was, you know, I was looking through all the different ones. And so I just brushed up on it. So it was definitely a, an American thing. And it's it just, it's fun to, to look at the, the region too, because not too far away you have a lot of dogman sightings and um but they happen everywhere so it's it's weird like even our uh, our own in new england has the uh, bridgewater triangle and the bridgewater triangle has had dogman and sasquatch uh sightings and it's weird, uh, it's it's hard to discern like how much of it we should be lumping together and how many of these things could be individual, uh, you know, separate from one another. It's, it's a really hard challenge when we're going mostly on uh, anecdotal evidence from direct experiences that we don't have, you know, evidence to objectively look at third party, you know? So it's hard to say how many of these sightings could be repeats of another thing close by, you know, and then you can also take it even a step further to look at all the cave systems in a lot of the areas where a lot of these cryptids are kind of found and a lot of a lot of creepiness that goes on with all the, uh, the mammoth caves, cave systems. It's crazy how it's all kind of connected and you can follow these maps together, overlaid. And it's pretty creepy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I've even heard stories of uh, like goblins over there near those caves. Yeah,
2: definitely goblins. And, and I believe, I think it's, I think I heard this kind of amidst the uh, missing 411 material that um, along with those mammoth, mammoth cave maps, you can also overlay like missing persons and, it's astronomical how well they line up. (laughs) So something real weird is going on with those areas in particular. And if you look, there's a lot of hotspots in in those cave areas that are hotspots for cryptids.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so to back up my retracted statement about how weird the UK (laughs) is for all our UK listeners, (laughs) <laughs> I asked you to, to tell me, like, maybe one of these that you haven't heard of before. So mm. the one I haven't heard of before is something called the, the doyarchu, and there might be a more Irish way to say that, but what it is is an a water dog or an Irish crocodile. It's this, an animal that's about the size of a crocodile or a big dog, but resembles a cross between a dog and an otter. It is almost always described as black in color. It either has a sleek black fur that fits very snugly to the body, or it has smooth, slimy black skin with no fur at all. A few individuals Ooh. are described as having one or more patches of white on them. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, with the water animals, it's always even like a even more element of mystery because they're seemingly right there. You know, you can't see them, you know, Yet for those few daring enough to swim, let's say in Loch Ness or something like that. It's like uh, if that creature really is there, do you want to be the one to dive in and find it? <laughs>
2: Right, right, yeah. There's so many different areas of uh, of the world that have these terrifying water tales, and the ocean's so frightening as it is because we know so little about it. And yeah, that was one of the the ones that I focused in on was the Kraken. Mm. And then what I didn't realize was there were so many different. Uh, links that I could click for monsters that were so similar to the kraken, but separate stories again, and a lot of them reflected an octopus or or a, a serpent rather than a squid, you know. Um, and so far, we've only found evidence of a colossal squid to be anything close to these, you know, mythic beasts. But something out there. There's reports of tentacles longer than, you know, ships that were 90 feet long, you know, and it's just terrifying to think how precise these sailors had to be, but how, you know, wildly exaggerated, these claims have been taken from them. Hmm. You know, people don't take these men seriously as soon as they say something ridiculous.
0: Right. Well, wow. Yeah. And kudos to those Japanese, Scientists that actually proved the giant squid's existence, because for the longest time it was considered a cryptid. Now we know it's a a real, actual animal, and who knows? Maybe it has a bigger cousin that likes to get close to the surface, charge up from the sun, and knock out some, you know, some <laughs> some ships. You know, an armada. Yeah, man,
2: because that one that they were uh, trolling or you know baiting that they finally had footage of, I think one of its tentacles came off in that situation after it got away, and the tentacle was 18 feet long. So if that was a juvenile, which I'm not sure if they proved it or could prove it or not, I I didn't read anything about that one in particular, but I remember seeing the footage, and 18 feet long, if that was a juvenile, who knows what the variation could be to its mother, you know? What if it's 300 feet?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, that is the Kraken for sure. Yeah. It's, it even harkens back to, like, Lovecraftian myths like Cthulhu, you know, and all the old gods. And, man, those stories are coming out of the woodwork these days. I listen to a ton of, like, audio drama podcasts and so many are focused in on sea monsters and massive old gods from the sea and shit like that. Hmm. It's just like a theme lately I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, interesting. And well, you know, Lovecraft was uh was a sort of a resident of our area, right? He was <laughs> yeah,
2: Connecticut, probably inspired
0: right? by the Bridgewater Triangle to a, bi- a large degree. I think he was from Rhode Island, but he did enjoy Rhode Island. He did enjoy visiting connecticut and one of the stories that he wrote uh was inspired by a place that my girlfriend and i visited uh this past summer in 2021 called the Morris, uh Morris state park or i'm sorry Makamudas state park Morris is in new york uh Macamudas state park and there's this sort of underground cave that makes these noises and it's said that there's like a a devil or a demon that was living there when the you know colonists came. So it's it's <laughs> definitely interesting uh, to find that stuff in your own backyard. But even more interesting, like, uh, to imagine something like the depths of the ocean or even like the depths of the jungle, I have a, a story here of a creature called a con Rit, which I guess that's a Vietnamese word and it's like a gigantic millipede that's seen like creeping through jungles really remote parts of the jungle but could you oh, imagine like a millipede the size of a man or bigger i mean
2: it's <laughs> awful it's just awful
0: that's not a pleasant <laughs> sight
2: that kind of it's like among the mothman kind of uh, cryptids that just kind of creep you out <laughs> mm,
0: absolutely Yeah.
2: Giant snakes, horned snakes.
0: Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, it seems like there's something going on in the jungles, in the deep oceans, which is why Bigfoot's so much more interesting because it seems to happen and not to take anything away from this giant millipede. He's cool. But Sasquatch (laughs) is just like for us in America, at least, uh, you know, he's kind of like in our own backyard, you know, this wild, unexplored, uh place that seems so close yet so far and oftentimes unattainable. But yeah. Is there any um cryptids that you found new uh you hadn't heard of before when looking through this website?
2: Yeah, there was one one that stuck out to me it was called uh, now I'm going to draw a blank. Of course, I should probably look back at it, but it was, um, hang on a second, Mark. That's all right. Let me find this guy again. While this finding... list is unreal. Too. Can you still hear me?
0: Yeah. While you're finding okay. it, I'll talk about this, uh, shug monkey. Which is a ghost, I saw that. Which is a, a, a ghost-like hairy humanoid that fits squarely into the big hairy monster category, uh, one of Bigfoot's weirder cousins. It's sidled in the Rendlesham Forest in Britain.
2: Interesting location.
0: Right. So I, I think Shug Monkey is uh, probably a British, uh, British vernacular. I'm really trying to double down on my statement there about the Bray Road, because I do believe that the UK is a paranormal hot spot, whether the Bray right. Road is there or not. But
2: I think there are a lot of uh, stories about like the Moors, like the Northern England Moors and stuff like that. Heathcliff, I th- no, not Heathcliff. I Hound. I can't remember. There's a lot of weird stories about giants and wild men on the moors of England. I know that
0: mm.
2: not too much about them, but um, yeah. So the jackalope, that's what the word I was looking for was. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to be weird here. I didn't know. I thought the jackalope was just some, I don't know. Like I never a tourist thought attraction it was like joke. <laughs> What's that?
0: Like, like some kind of like roadside attraction, tourist <laughs> trap type thing. Right.
2: Yeah, so I just thought it was a word that we, I I had no idea that it was like a a pronged horn antelope. I I just thought it was some fake thing. I didn't know it was actually something that people were seeing. And it's kind of terrifying, you know? (laughs) Mm.
0: Well, and people, like, you can even look them up. You'll see these taxidermy uh, dead rabbits with antlers from pronghorns on them, right? This is, like, maybe right. you'll see it at, like, a bar somewhere in the west. I don't know. I've never been to the desert. But, you know, a horned rabbit, I don't know, man. It sounds a lot like Pan, right? This, like, little horned spirit of the forest, you know? Yeah,
2: man. So was, that's what was prickling me too. Cause as soon as I found out that this jackalope was not like a roadside attraction or something, and that it was actually a cryptid, um, I started seeing all this horn symbolism and that brought me of course, right into like all the Norse stuff and you know, our, our entire Western concept of, you know, demons and devils and stuff with the horns you know, our misinterpretation of uh, of uh, Pan as some devil character and this and that. So, it, yeah, it's really interesting how these things kind of all tie back, even if they're modern stories, they harken right back to very, very ancient archetypes and religion and things like that.
0: Right, right. Yeah, There's definitely, and like you said, a plethora of creatures on this website and even some creatures like you know that you would that are accepted as real creatures but there's some strange stories about them like uh, a king cheetah what the hell is a king cheetah probably some kind of probably some kind of very large cheetah i don't let's find out african folklore has long described a different variety of cheetah than the one that scientists were familiar with this cheetah is a giant, and it had a totally different pattern on its coat than the normal cheetah. Like most creatures described in folklore, the King Cheetah was the object of much ridicule, and there were virtually no serious efforts to find out if it really existed, even though skins with the King Cheetah pattern were known to exist.
2: Hmm.
0: Very strange. strange, and there are there yeah, are that's... definite variations of cheetahs from you know based on what kind of environment they live in. Some kind of live in deserts, some live in more mountainous regions, and some live in the savanna where you typically see them. But yeah, it is it is kind of the the case too with cryptozoology that oftentimes it's the only uh, place that will receive these sort of more fringe accounts of animals that are most likely just smaller in population size, you know, like with the um, Tasmanian tiger, right? A lot yes. of people thought that that was pure myth. And then, you know, some time ago, there was a person who captured it on film, right? Now we know that this right. thing existed for some time.
2: Yeah. And it, that was just, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. I was just going to mention that Tasmanian Devil,
0: right? The thylacine. Yeah, I actually Gordon White, um, when he was on the show a month or so ago, he thought that maybe the thylacine would be making a comeback in the next 100, 200 years. I hope I'm not just misquoting him, but I'm pretty certain he said something along those lines.
2: Yeah. I mean, Gordon's big on the cycles, right? You know, Mm -hmm. he always talks about how you got to know your place in the cycle and, you know, who knows what might be coming back given the right circumstances and how many of these uh, cryptids may be just, uh, you know, species creeping back into the food chain or or something like that. I don't don't know, Mm. especially with all the hairy man, wild man beasts that we see. in in just the United States alone, uh, specifically, you know, you got all the Bigfoot stories and all the Dogman stories, you know, that's I'd say the biggest two you get and there's variations of both of those. It's really interesting that there has to be something out there on a physical level, of course, but beyond that, with the connection to the orbs and other mysterious happenings around these situations, I don't know, who knows how much consciousness plays into that, you know?
0: Well, and that kind of begs the question that I I think we can wrap up on, and I want to pose this question to you. I, I think Lon did a good job of answering it, but, you know, given what folks like Gordon talk about with the cycles, do you think these creatures are inherently connected to, like, some kind of interdimensional nature of reality itself and that's why they're seemingly present for some people and not present for others or even present at some time periods and not present in others i mean dragons are a good example of that you know there's all this cultural uh knowledge and record of dragons and you know now it doesn't seem like there's much to do with dragons but yeah what are mm-hmm. your thoughts is it is it multi-dimensional is it just para natural and it's just on the fringes of biology or, or do you think there's something supernatural to it?
2: That's my favorite part about this, that like the supernatural parts sometimes turn out to be so down to earth, you know, and it, you know, Occam's razors turns out to be the, the explanation a lot of times, but on the same, at the same time as that's happening, um it also seems like a lot of these, cryptids uh and we can include aliens and ufos and a lot of other we can kind of broaden the the spectrum and and i like to put it in the category of the other in in the you know kind of transcendental sense in the in the way that we talk about this you know desperation and consciousness at its roots to find the other and seek this you know this outside perspective, it seems. I mean, this goes really deep, but I mean, we're talking about the nature of consciousness and the nature of self and self-discovery and how, you know, there always seems to be this outside uh, perspective or this other that we're looking for, or that always feels present, but that we can never really put our finger on. And I would say this could even extend all the way into, you know, religious or spiritual views on things, uh, you know, angels and and seeing possession and and all kinds of things, uh, you know, experiences with God, all the way to the burning bush, man all the way around. So in a way, I think it absolutely has to be interdimensional because I think we exist as people in this world exists and reality is happening on so many different dimensional levels that many different things are true. Even if you know they don't line up, they're in different levels of reality, if that makes any
0: sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that It's definitely, again, it's in line synchronistically enough with a lot of the things I talked about with Neil. One of the things that he mentioned is this, like, galactic council of beings that kind of volunteer to come here, and the only way that they can come here and not be, like, intervening as an extraterrestrial entity is by, you know, taking a human form, you know, and Mm. who knows, maybe some of them just prefer taking the Sasquatch form and that's their (laughs) way of getting in (laughs) on on the action. But yeah, man, definitely a lot to get into on this topic, and I'm excited for when you cover it on The Witness because you did a great job the first time I was there with psychedelics. I thought that was a great mix of people, a great mix of opinions, and a great conversation was had. So folks who haven't heard that yet, please go check out Andy and everything he's doing, Andy, make that easier for him. Tell him where they can find you, brother.
2: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on again. And and yeah, you'll be on the witness again, for sure. Um, the witness is kind of my premium show where I'm going to be doing these uh, round tables, diving deep into consciousness and the nature of all of these things. Like cryptids is one little shade of gray among so many others psychedelics near-death experience all the rest so you can find me at the deep share podcast but the witness will be coming very soon as a premium show and I hope, uh, hope you guys want to check it out because I think it's going to be where uh, where the deeper, weirder conversations are happening for sure. Uh, uh-huh. The deep share, I'd kind of go all over the place. I'll talk about missing history or politics or whatever. But this is kind of where I want to hone in and, uh, and talk really about what got me into this game and still has me completely freaked out and completely bewildered, which is the experience of consciousness itself and what that entails. So
0: Boom. yeah. And for folks who are with us, who are in line with our perspectives or maybe new to a lot of these perspectives and they like reading, uh, stay tuned because Andy and I are working on a new project, which maybe we can tell them a little bit about you hit me with the idea. So do you want to explain Uh, To the folks, what you have in mind, what we're going to be doing for now once a month, maybe if there's a demand, we'll do it more often, but we'll start with once a month to tell them what we're going to do.
2: Sure, man. So I think at first, we're just kind of going to frame it as, you know, a book review kind of thing where both of us bring a book to the table. We tell the audience about it. We tell each other about it. And uh, I think the best idea would be to not even tell each other what we're bringing to the, to the table, because that that. way we can, we can find the synchronicities between our choices without them being predetermined, you know,
0: do we, so that could be uh, go ahead. Do we, do we need to make some ground rules here? Because I think, (laughs) I think you know, I agree. I think the surprising each other is fantastic. It will will also maybe even surprise the listeners by not putting the title directly in the title. I don't know. I want to put. I like it, that. We maybe, can get
2: mysterious with it. Yeah,
0: maybe we can put it in the description and just hide it at the bottom of the description. Most people don't read the episode <laughs> description anyways, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I like that. But also, I'm like, should we commit to maybe like because I, I can't commit. I can't promise I'm going to read a whole book as much as I want to try, as much as this Fair might enough. sound like a cop-out. But in order to like keep the content um, as as caliber, I don't know, should we like say uh, we have to at least read have read three chapters of the book or however many chapters or the whole damn thing? I mean, if you want to put the pedal to the metal and <laughs> really hold me to the iron, well, I'll try.
2: <laughs> dude, the latter would be amazing, and I think we would just kill it, you know, if we could do full-blown book reports on this stuff, but I think we're both very busy men. We're trying to do many, many things at once, and I think the audience would at least appreciate a little preview into a book that both of our minds appreciate, Right. because most likely a lot of people that are jiving with what we talked about already are going to like these books, too, right. you know, whether it be something really in tune with, uh, you know, alternative thinking, or if it's just something absolutely breathtaking that we've read that, you know, inspired us in a different way. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Right. And I think what's cool even is uh, that we're giving people sort of a jumping off point and even the conversations, I mean, we haven't done this yet, so we'll see how they go, but I hope that they can be like jumping off points where we're not just giving a full book report, but we're actually like, you know, giving uh, a preview into a book and also uh, springboarding into a discussion on the contents of the book, which I think is really the greatest value of having these books is just the inspiration that hits you when you get a couple chapters in, like, oh wow, all right, now I need to that's usually my problem with finishing books is by the time I'm five or six chapters in, I'm already you know, with my hands in three other books to get like reference information <laughs> on what I'm reading about in that book. So, yeah, we're, we're right. definitely going to have some fun with this. And I want to try to present books and ideas that aren't uh, commonly talked about on the show. That's what really excited me about um, your proposition, because there are definitely books that, you know, given uh, the time they came out, maybe the author's not around anymore to interview or Mm -hmm. just the topic is uh, undercovered. You know, it's not really covered as well as it should be. So, so yeah, I'm excited to, to see what happens next with that. And, uh, and yeah, I think we're going to, we'll at least put the first one out for free as a swap cast, but we'll talk, you know, as time goes on, how we're going to, do it, uh, whether it's going to be a paywall show or not, because like I said and you said, we're both busy guys, and uh, we definitely mm-hmm. we definitely want to uh, put out quality content, you know, and I'm not trying to bribe the audience, but, hey, guys, you know, I'm putting higher quality content out there at, day after day. If you want it to keep up, you got to give something back in return, and the same goes for Andy as well. Am I right?
2: exactly man yeah and I I think uh, the value for value community that we all have going here uh, you know I I recently had my studio flooded my whole basement flooded you know the whole it was just a catastrophe and you know the community uh, that we're a part of was extremely supportive on so many different levels and I think we're just like I've told you before. The more and more and more and more people that are joining this community, becoming participants, it, we're trying to give value back to everybody involved in this community, man. Right. And that's for every listener out there that supports us. And we, it, you guys mean the world to us.
0: Indeed, and you know, like, like you said, brother. You know that studio. We gotta rebuild it. So folks listening, support <laughs> yeah. support Andy, support his show, because we want him to have a studio again and that's really unfortunate what happened, you know. I know how expensive it is to build and get this equipment going, to be able to do this in a way that sounds good on the other end for you as listeners. So, yeah, that's that's an unfortunate circumstance. So if it's, there's any It's okay. Folks... I'm going to
2: build back better, man. I'm going <laughs> to build back better.
0: I'm just going to build back
2: better. I'm going to build back. Did I say that enough times?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's a build back better cause that I think people can get behind. So people, <laughs> uh, people go support Andy at the deep share, and uh, I'll be sure to put – all the ways to support him in the episode description so check out those links and uh lon as well because this was a fantastic two-part conversation first part with lon strickler and then my friend andy from the deep share podcast andrew rouse thank you so much for being here brother and thank you folks for listening have a great moment wherever you are in the now peace